You are listening to and watching the Beyond Sets and Reps Research to Reps Roundtable. I am your host, Pat Ivey, and joining me are co-hosts Javar Gillette with the Houston Rockets and Ted Lambrinidis, who is the Director of Sports Science with the NFL. Our goal is to have science move from research to practical application. We will provide resources that can help you be the best professional possible. All right, we are live. Welcome to another edition of Research to Reps Roundtable. I'm your co-host, Pat Ivey from Beyond Sets and Reps. And we also have Javar Gillette. Hey, guys. How you, how you doing, Pat? What's up, man? It's good to be back. Uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, things are good over here. Uh, I'm excited uh, with our guest today, uh, one of the best in, in – um, this should be a fun one. Yeah, I know we want to hear about what you guys got going down there too, Jabbar. So um, if you can sneak some of that in there, whatever you can sneak, you, whatever you can sneak in, sneak it in. <laughs> yeah, and we have Ted Lambrinidis. How's it going today, Pat? And, uh, excited to uh, be on with uh, Brian today. There should be some great information shared today. I'm looking forward to this one too. And our special guest here is Dr. James Bryan Mann, uh, good friend of mine, great friend of mine. I don't know, can't say good, I have to say great. Um, excited about this one. You talk about research, you talk about to reps and a round table. Here we go. This is, this is the man. The man, right, cheer. As, uh, <laughs> one of his favorite songs to lift to back in the day by oh, yeah. Uh yeah, if you, if you hadn't heard it, go ahead and look it up. The man right here, uh, Mystical. Um, man, I still get goosebumps. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Man. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. You know, long time no see, and uh, we're seeing each other virtually here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here, doing uh, do whatever I can. Let's, uh, let's have a good one. Let's have a good one. So um, let's go ahead and start this off and uh, just talk about – um, your love for research. Why, why research? Why to reps? Why, why is that your passion? You know, I just thought that there were better ways to do things. Uh, you know, it, it's, um, and, you know, a lot of the research that was coming out back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, they were all looking at like, you know, where it really started uh, with that first APRE paper was that, you know, periodization, you'd see 12 weeks, 16 weeks, like all this stuff. And I'm like, I got five. How am I supposed to take 16 and turn it into five? And, you know, it just seemed like the research, there was, there was a bit of a disconnect between, <clears throat> and, and some of it, I, I need to say it this way, that there was a disconnect from some of the researchers, but not, not everybody, right? There's some people who were, were keyed in, but then there was a lot of people that were like, dude, we have a five-week off-season. You know, this isn't applicable. This is great, and it's great to know what happens in 16 weeks, but we need to have research that's applicable for the college strength and conditioning coach. And we need to make sure that we're looking at things that uh, are implementable and that they're sustainable because it doesn't matter if something is perfect if it can't be implemented week after week after week. Uh, you know, that some things that are in research studies, they, uh, they sacrifice um, – 
I don't know if implementability is a, a word or not, but they'll sacrifice that for precision where I'm, I'm going to flip it around. It's that uh, I want to be able to make sure that the, the coaches can use something rather than, you know, just, uh, just, you know, stand up on a podium and say, I've got the best model of all time. I don't give two craps about the model. I care about winning games. Uh, so I wanted to be able to, I saw a, uh, a gap that had been filled by some people like, you know, your Bill Kramers, your Mike Stones, of course, your Andy Fries. But even then, they didn't know what was going on today and, uh, and what were the current situations. So I wanted to make sure that we could put out research that was you know, applicable, that a coach could take and have, for lack of a better term, Monday morning value. And honestly, I'll, I'll say that probably most of my studies are not Monday morning value. They might be, you know, uh, six weeks from now value, you know, whenever you can start up the next uh, cycle or, or whatnot. But that's really what led to it because, you know, I'm inquisitive. Hell, you had those, us do all those freaking uh, questionnaires back in the day, and I had the psychological profile of a, you know, the, of a nerd. You know, it was a collector and something else. And, uh, you know, where I just take those little bits of information, uh, keep them stored in my head. And whenever something comes up, I can, I start filling in the dots. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, like with the VBT, I'd read all that stuff from Burke Oshansky, uh, Roman. And then, uh, <clears throat> one of the guys with the M, uh, I don't remember if it's Matt Bay of Mebedev or whatever, but I kept seeing that M, S superscript negative one or M slash S. And I was like, I have no idea what this is, but I, it looks interesting. And uh, then I saw the Tendo in 2002, 2001, 2002, 2003, somewhere around in there. I was legal drinking age. Uh, I didn't, you know, but uh, that's, that's what I could tell you. Cause I remember drinking at the bar with, uh, with uh, Rick and Milo. Uh, but you know, that's whenever we found it, man. And whenever we, we Fine, we got the Tendo, and all of a sudden, bam, falls into place. You know, that, uh, it, so, you know, I could go on and on about that. But, uh, you know, it, and I guess the other part of it, too, is why, and if we go back to the uh, childhood stuff, man, uh, Rocky Four is one of the things that kind of made me want to be a strength coach. And it wasn't Rocky doing all of his stuff. Man, it's the crap they were doing with the Russians. You know, freaking – doing, looking and analyzing how hard he hit and what was his biomechanics. And, you know, I'll, I'll leave the drugs off to the side. Cause you know, I don't want to get, uh, you know, that, that's, that, the, you know, that's the athlete's choice. You know, that, that's not anything that I would ever, uh, you know, push, but uh, you know, whole IR institutional review board might frown if you started, you know, shooting somebody up at three CCs of testosterone, but um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, but, that really, you know, that, that drove me. And, uh, that, it, that's what, you know, really, uh, I still, you know, I'm, of course being an American, I'm glad Ivan Drago lost, but you know, it was cooler than shit watching that lap, man. And then sprinting around and I could still remember it. Those training montages, I get more excited about the Russian than I do about Rocky. So, but that, you know, that's where it came from. Yeah. So Ted and Javar, the goal is to get Brian's hair to go from where it's kind of laid down right here. <laughs> yeah, that's my uh, stress level. Everybody always knew that do you talk to me or not by how high up my hair stands. And if it was right here, you just keep walking. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to hear you anyways. I'm too deep in thought. <laughs> of course, that also my hairline was a lot further down back then. So, uh Yeah. 
Can't that's really. harder to stand up the further back you go. Hey, uh, speaking of stress, uh, Brian, the the research you did uh, with the academic stress. Yeah. How would you apply that now with the so-called COVID stress that athletes are dealing with? Would you see a parallel there? Yeah, you know, I, I really would. Uh, so I actually wrote a lay article on Elite FTS about this. And then, uh, interestingly enough, we just with uh, Marcel Dos, man, hold, I can't say his last name. Let me let me pull it up here and read it. Oh, uh, Marcel Lopez Dos Santos. So that is it. Melissa Uffering, Jay Dawes, Cody Stahl, and myself uh, did a uh, stress and academic and athletic performance in collegiate athletes, narrative review of sources and uh, monitoring strategies that, you know, it, stress is systemic. So it, it, uh, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. And some of the stresses that we're encountering with COVID are things that uh, a coach might not think twice about, you know, like the stress of the athletes, uh, their parents losing their job. And now they're, they've got to think about how to get their brother and sister food and and things like that. I I think that, uh, and just the, I mean, shoot here in Miami Dade, the CDC just said that we're Wuhan now, you know, we are the epicenter of, uh, uh, of the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, so there's definitely some, some stress that's going to be going on, not even if you don't have COVID, uh, and even if none of your family do, just it's like, hey, when is this going to be over? What can I do? You know, is this person that, uh, that's across the street from me? You know, do they have it? Oh, God, they're crossing over here. What do I do? You know, uh, the, the stress levels are going to be high. And I think that right now, as people are returning to training, and some of the training obviously is getting shut down, as we know from uh, Ohio State and uh, was it North Carolina? Those two got shut down last week. Uh, yes. For, for two weeks that, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that, for some people, is a source of stress. For me, it's a source of stress. I need to know what my schedule is for the next month or else it's, uh, it's unsettling. Uh, so I think that these athletes are under tremendous amounts of uh, emotional, psychological stress. And again, some of them, we, I don't know how we would track other than talking to the athlete and being like, Hey, how's your family? You know, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your brother? How's your sister? How's your dog? You know, how's your neighbor's dog? You know, just trying to, you know, to, to go in with that because, and you know, we just have to trying to think of the best way to, to say this. I think that this is this time more than any in our past is whenever the soft skills uh, really have to come into play uh, because we need to understand what stresses the athletes are under because we have no idea, you know, this right now sets reps, weights, completely irrelevant. You know, it, it's uh, literally about survival. Um, you know, I've got, so, you know, Javar uh, was down here and uh, we had just had a friend who, you know, freaking health food nut runs, you know, half marathons damn near every week, uh, went on a ventilator uh, and then he had a stroke. And so, you know, here's this person who's extremely healthy that thinks they're bulletproof and uh, dude, they're done. You know, I mean, he's, he's not dead, but uh, it ain't looking good, you know? Um, so I, I think that these, the straight, you know, right now sets reps irrelevant, man. Let's just, Let's look at stress mitigation. Let's keep people healthy. Uh, and honestly, I think it might be a good reset, you know, to find out what actually matters in training uh, as we have any form of athletics 
you know, moving forward. Uh, so, Brian, yeah, what do you say for the coach if 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 they're hearing about the different stresses that the athletes are going through, academic, where they're going to live, safety, food, family back home, friends, uh, coronavirus, and we they still have. Some places are starting next week football. Yeah. What do you say to the, the coach that says they just got to deal with it and suck it up? Um, I mean, I mean, so what are the, I guess, what are the dangers of saying just suck it up or having that mindset that, hey, just got to suck it up, that's life? Man, they're going to lose their athletes. Uh, they're going to lose them to injury, and they're going to, to lose them uh, relationship-wise. Because this coach, he doesn't know what this athlete is going through. Uh, you know, I think right now the best things that we could do is stick on the lower intensities of development. Uh, you know, not high-intensity training. I think we got to throw out the window because we don't know what the athletes have been doing, what they've had access to. Uh, what their stress levels are. I think that we need to really start going on with some stress management techniques and teaching them about mindfulness and taking them through maybe some uh, body scans and mindfulness-based stress reductions uh, because that, dude, it's just too high, right? And, uh, you know, I know that some people believe in that uh, egg baking, uh, cake baking theory, you know, where if you're going to bake a cake, you're going to break a few eggs and some people are going to get hurt. Man, this is nothing, right? This is nothing like we've ever seen uh, as far as stress level goes. And uh, I'm going to predict that there's probably going to be a high number of ACL and Achilles stairs this year, uh, especially if coaches aren't coming back and even going to – I think that we've got a load of isometrics right now, man. Uh, I really do. I think we've got a load of ISOs on the, uh, the distal hamstrings and, uh, and things like seated calf raises and, and stuff like that to – you know, looking at like Kenneth Barr's work where, uh, you know, they, we can help to strengthen the tendons because they haven't been stressed to the same extent in some great amount of time. And while there's a lot of people who are going to throw darts at the acute chronic workload uh, ratio because they fail to see that, uh, that it is a predictor of injury, it's not – I wouldn't say that there's any one number major predictor of injury, but there's factors. And I think that the acute chronic workload is a factor. Stress is a factor. Hydration is a factor. Movement is a factor. I mean, they, that the injuries are so multifactorial that if, you know, we, we can't just pin down one. Um, but I think that the coaches, man, you know, they're saying suck it up. Dude, you know, their brother might be laying in a coma right now and just had a stroke. You don't know that. So I think that coaches got to tread lightly right now, man. Yeah, I've come to believe it over the last 20 years. Was, you say man up. Um, you know, it's easy to say from the outside looking in, but, I, like, I tend to think that those are the types of people that really haven't gone through adversity themselves, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. Like, yeah. And, and when, when you're an athlete or, uh, you know, the experiences you've had or, you know, our expertise, uh, it helps when you've gone through the gauntlet a little bit, you can, you can preach sleep, right? Yeah. You know, why? I started learning more about sleep because I wasn't getting any in my twenties. <laughs> yeah. Know, I was overworking. 
shit, I was I'm still not getting enough sleep. Well, right, that's because the kids now, but, you know. I, I had a couch <laughs> in my office. When I was with the Tigers, I had a couch in my office, and our head athletic trainer, Kevin Rand, he's, he's, I love him. He's a brother. He, he would tell me, don't sleep at the office. And sure enough, it's 2 a.m., and I'm still there working on my computer, working away, working away, and, and uh, everyone knows the grind of a, of a baseball season. So it's, now, now I'm waking up at 7, 8 o'clock to work out a little bit. Then I have, you know, players. I'm, I'm meeting players to work out at 10 a.m. And then the game's not till 7, so you're at the field for, for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just sleep alone. Uh, but I think, you know, just taking these pieces, and if you had a pie chart that you're covering all these little pieces, right? So, so like Brian said, sleep. Um, physical activity. Uh, I know for us in the NBA right now, we're looking at having the players. It's optional, but the players have, have the option now using technology, they can wear the aura ring. So we're looking at heart rate variability there. It's a personal thing, um, but gosh, it would be great if we could track that and actually study it. You know, if players, yeah. you know, so, so when the Players Association and the players are confident enough in our abilities as, as sports scientists, to use this data to help them and they, they're not paranoid about it, thinking that we're going to use it against them, that's when we hit another level and we can be of more use to them. And so, like, the aura ring is, is just one example, right? But uh, velocity-based training, you know, another example. I, I use that. that I've, I've found just tracking speed, just using a tendo unit, I've, I've been able to, to um, identify fatigue more d- times using that particular piece of equipment than the force plate in their training. And so uh, using all of these pieces of information, like Brian was saying, and putting them all together to really identifying like, Hey, this guy is overstressed, like sitting, laying there and and doing a mega wave, you know, might not be the answer for a lot of people. So what other things can you pull from? Or maybe if it is just don't use that one piece to say, this guy is stressed out or, or he's fine because you don't know everything else that's, that's going on. These athletes have, they've been, they do a really good job of, of, you know, a lot of them do a really good job of locking in, going to work, but you don't know what's going on from a personal side either. So you think everything's fine, but you really don't know what's going on on the personal side. So I think just like, like you were saying that the, the, uh, the tracking, you know, the subjective analysis using the subjective analysis it helps if the players take it seriously. I think a lot of people shy away from it. Even I've shied away from using them because I don't think the players take it seriously. But if, if you are on top of them or you have a staff that you can get people on top of them and say, hey, tell, you know, tell the truth here. Tell the truth. This is for you. It's going to help us serve you better. I think you get more accurate feedback and subjective analysis, and it can be useful, right? But – um, you know, there's a purpose to everything, and it's got to be a well-balanced approach. Yeah. Now, you know, the more that you can embed to where they're not feeling like lab rats. You know, I remember that we ran into that with uh, the Omega Wave back in the zoo. You know, they, the 10 or 12 guys that we had doing it, well, they had to come in early. They had to go do these things, and then they have to come back to me, and then I'd have to go over to Pat and talk about changes for this one individual, and – you know, then they, you know, so that increased their amount of time. So then it, it didn't work, but you know, the VBT, if you've got the same loads and you can embed that, then you can just track that in the velocity and, um, 
we know how that's related to autonomic nervous system status. And then, you know, if you're tracking it and they don't know you're tracking it, then, you know, yeah, yeah, one more thing. Uh, heart rate, uh, heart rate recovery, if you can like throw that in after the warm up. If you've got the same warm up every day and you, you know, after the warm up, you give them a one minute break to get water. Well, then you've got a heart rate recovery, you know, a one minute time that you could, that we, that's, that's monitoring right there. You just drop the markers on the, uh, I, I can speak for the polar system. I can't speak for first beat or anything else because I haven't used it. But I mean, you just drop that marker and bam, you know, you got something else that's embedded so that you can, um, that you can look at. Uh, what's the heart rate? Really what's the heart rate percentage now that we should be working up or, you know, what percentage should we be working up to to make sure we're getting a, a decent assessment of their recovery, right? So we got to get to a certain level. So yeah, I think that I, you know what, I'm not so sure that because if, how do I, expl- how do I say this? I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure, but I think that we need to look at if it's the scripted, so it's going to be the same every time. Then I think that it's kind of ir- irrelevant. Uh, we might, we'd want to look at the peak heart rate to see what it is because if the heart rate's higher that day, uh, then it's uh, showing you that, hey, something else is probably going on, even if it's dropping off all the way. Uh, but then again, we don't know what did they take? What did they drink? What did they not drink? You know, uh, and that could artificially increase your heart rate. Like right now I'm having a freaking, uh, not a regular do, it's a uh, zero, right? This has more <laughs> caffeine in it, in case you didn't know. Uh, so my heart rate would be artificially increased right now. You know, so... Uh, and if some days you do it and some days you don't, so then you look at both, you know, it's kind of like with RSI, right? Everybody think, man, even I, whenever I was younger, I was just looking for that metric. It's like, what's this one thing? Well, no, man, you got to take context into everything. Cause if you, people are looking at just RSI, well, what is that? Well, that's jump height divided by contact time. So they might get a higher jump because they spent more time on the ground. Right. Or they might have a lower jump and spend less time on the ground and they would get the same number. Uh, so, you know, everything's got to be given into that context. You got to look at everything. It's not just one simple, Oh, we can look at this one number and track it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can, but you're probably going to be wrong just as often as you are. Right. So we get just apply more context. It's not that simple. We got to have people that are really good at statistics, which I'm not, uh, just now trying to learn art and that's a beast. Uh, Hey, I'll do this. So am I. So I, I don't know what courses you're taking, but if, if I haven't been taking a course. Like, I've been, uh, so been playing around on your, by, by, on well, your I've been playing around on myself. So I haven't actually taken a course. There was a YouTube tutorial on there and uh, I started bashing my head against the wall. It turns out the file was corrupt for the stuff that we were using. And, uh, yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And then, so, uh, so Coursera. Yeah. Coursera I was looking at that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Patrick Ward is a good friend of mine uh, with the Seahawks, and he is yeah. a R savant. And he's given me some guy, a uh, guy named, oh, God, I can't remember. I'd have to go to my phone uh, and scroll through my text messages. But he's like, hey, this person's got free courses on statistics in YouTube, and he uses R. Go look at this after you, you know, learn that. And yeah. you know, the GG plot and tidy and, man, it, it's – right yeah. now I'm drinking from a fire hose, dude. So John – John DeWitt, he's with NASA, he's now with the Cubs, uh, helps me out here with the Rockets. He told me about Coursera, and, and it, I mean, within this last week, every evening I'm, I'm working on that. Uh, it, it, 
Coursera has been great. So he, he introduced me to that, thankfully, because uh, yeah. I was right there with you with YouTube. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but dude, shoot shoot me the, the course that you're doing. It's probably like, what, 100 bucks, 200 bucks? What is it? It's not even that. It's, uh, well, this particular one I'm on, is, you're, you're doing it. It's a per month or per per week fee, I think. You okay. know? Um, so you got to get through the chapters pretty quick uh, or you're going to be paying a fee. <laughs> so, got it. Got it. Uh, I'll send you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been really good, but I'll send you the stuff from Patrick. Uh, that uh, you know, if Patrick Ward says it's good, I'm I'm going to believe it. You know, that's. Yeah. Uh, I always go to the people that are far better at stuff than I am. That's why, even though I never ended up connecting with you because we got that Kinesio thing downstairs, uh, it, which is completely my fault. Uh, my daughter threw up whenever I was going to call you, and then I never got back around to it. So, you know, the life with kids. It's uh, Dude. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I always go to the people that I, I don't, I don't believe in recreating the wheel, man. You know, if Isaac Newton said, if I've seen further than other minutes only because I've stood upon the shoulders of giants, I, I know there's a lot smarter people out there than me. I'm going to go see what they did and try and build on that rather than start over. Yeah. So, Brian, yeah. If yeah. I, w I want you to, um, talk about probably some research that you, I know you never published, but I think it's the best research you ever did. I'm biased though. Um, cheetahs, lions, and rhinos. Oh yeah, yeah. So basically, what we did was we uh, broke them down at the, how they do their power. Talk and, about uh, why though? Why we had to come up with that? Man, I'm trying to remember. Well, it's for the football coaches. To yeah, be able to understand stuff like you know, this guy you're wanting him to do this, but he ain't built like that. Ah, that's what it was. Yeah, the hamstrings. So, yeah, uh, yeah whenever you get down to it, we just kind of we we went and used the God. Did we use the Sarah's equation, or did we use that power strength ratio? Damn. So what I what I'm trying to remember now is basically what we looked at was how did they. One. So don't lose what? Level promotion. Man, let me see if let me go see if I can pull this up because I remember it, but I don't remember it well enough. So I'll give some background while you pull it up. Um, we were noticing that certain a certain population of the football team had hamstring injuries, and we know they were mostly our best athletes. We know they were strong. We know they were biomechanically sound, uh, and and for that, for the coaches, they're they're uh, you know obviously the questions start coming. Well, why are these guys getting hurt? Why are they getting injured? And so we're thinking we're doing the research, and we're like, well, obviously we know volume is 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 a variable, right? Um, so Brian started looking at power. He started looking at. Uh, strength. He started looking at uh, and came up with a formula, and uh, eventually we we were able to categorize um, no matter what position they were, if they were a rhino, a lion, or a cheetah. And cheetahs run seventy plus miles an hour, but they need rest. Uh, lions run fifty five miles an hour, but they don't they don't need as much rest, but they still need rest. Rhinos can run about 35 all day. And we're trying to explain to the coaches that you can actually have rhino. And so they're thinking, oh, well, our uh, 
our, all our all our offensive line and defensive line, they must be the rhinos, right? I'm like, no, we actually have some cheetahs that are offensive line. Uh, so with velocity-based training or anything like that, they can jump, they can run, they're explosive. Probably going to play on Sundays. Uh, you find it? Yeah. No, I didn't find it. Uh, I lost a bunch of stuff from Missouri because they told me that I had a box for like another month. Yeah. And they didn't give it to me. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I remember what I ended up doing, I think, was I just looked at the counter movement jump and converted it to power and, uh, and we looked at how they came in, right? So they're coming in as an, an initial and then uh, we looked at watts per kilo and did it allometrically. Right, allometrically scaled, so it was divided by the 0.67 power because, uh, you know, that's just what all the allometric scaling was. And I think Bert Jacobson uh, uh, corroborated that uh, at Oklahoma State with football. So I just went with that. And then uh, so we were looking at watts per kilo. And granted, dude, I know, right, from looking at enough force plate data right now, they're, they're, we got some of them. I'm going to think that, you know, it was better than what we didn't have. So the three standard deviations above, those were cheetahs, the, uh, you know, the, you know, the standard, you know, the plus or minus one, that was our, uh, uh, man, lions, those were our lions. And then the rhinos were uh, down here, right? And they were strong but they couldn't jump. And so strength was in there somehow. I can't remember how I had strength factored in. But uh, whenever you get down to it, you know, it's the springy guys with their cheetahs, every, you know, and then we had the lions, and then we had the rhinos. And uh, all of the cheetahs that we had for the line went on to the NFL, so that'll tell you something. Uh, and then some of the skill guys, you could have somebody who uh, is extremely fast and springy, but they can't catch or cut or change direction or anything like that. So then you've got, man, did we use the 42 and the 10 times? Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I wish I, I'm looking stupid up here because I can't remember. If, yeah, I've had nine concussions, people, and I drink way too much, so my brain cells are pretty well pickled. Uh, but uh, that, yeah, yeah. So it's – uh, that's why we bring you to all the conferences, Brian, because you're our drinking buddy. That's all. <laughs> hey, baby, I'm ready to come back to Chicago. Let me know, man. Let me know. Hey, uh, Pat and Brian, when you uh, presented that information to the coaches, were they receptive or had a better understanding of how they may need to modify practice for some of those cheetahs? Man, I wasn't in there. You have to ask Pat. Uh, you know what? Here's one thing that I will remember, though. That I had like a date wrong on something, and it might have been on a, another paper, and that's the only thing they keyed in on. They didn't give to. <laughs> so, man, I was so pissed off that uh, yeah, I don't know what happened with that. I don't remember. I, just I would I love to say that it went over like I thought it was going to, or hoped it would, but it didn't. Uh, a couple of coaches made fun. Ha ha, cheaters. Rhinos. Ha lions. Lions. That's real cute. Cheetahs, lions, rhinos. That's real cute. You know, I'm really trying to help you to understand that not all of your, if you're the wide receiver coach, you're like, yeah, well, I I got all the cheetahs, right? No, you you don't. Some of your guys, um, when they run a route, they're going to need more time to come back and recover from running that 4-3-40. Yeah. 
um, if those 40 plus vert guys, some, some are able, they've got a good aerobic base so they can, they can do it better than others, but you have some rhinos in your position. They're, they might be the players that don't play. A lot of them were your walk-ons. Um, and then you have your lions. So obviously you know who you're, we call them the freaks. You know who they are. They can run, they can jump, they can do it all. They're going to play on Sundays. Uh, but some of your Lions might have a chance too. They they might be the wide receiver that runs the the four the mid four five or the four six forty mid thirty thirty inch vert thirty five inch vertical. But they can they can run routes. They can run practice. They can handle more volume than your cheetahs. And just trying to explain that to them, you know, some of the coaches did understand. It. They were like, "All right, so I need to protect my cheetahs." Like, yeah, that's that's what this information is for. So how do I how do I do that? They're asking how do they get the right amount of reps to to get better when some players can handle more volume than others. I said that's for you to decide. I, I mean, I'm just giving you the information that from from the numbers that we've run that we're running, we believe these guys uh, if they do as many reps as a rhino or or a, a lion, your cheetahs they're going to pop with the hamstring. And so Brian was able to go through and chart over, you know, go back and look at our numbers and look at injury reports and, and basically use that information to say, here we go. Um, if you came up with a, there was a certain wattage or whatever, Brian. Is yeah, like, fucking I don't remember what it was. Whatever yeah. the number you came up with. But basically, if, if they went, if they were producing a certain amount of power, the likelihood at the vault because of our practice volume, which was, it was nuts. pretty high. Yeah. Um, we knew what was going to, you know, we could teach them and they could eat right. They can hydrate. They can rest. We can stretch them. We can do all strengthen. We can do all of those things. But eventually there's a threshold that they're going to pass. And inevitably. Inevitably they did. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, that that's how, just. How is there a, I was always interested what's the best way to, to easily identify, you know, we, we do it through experience and, and using our own testing and, and observation, but best ways, Ted, maybe you can answer this, um, Brian, for muscle fiber type to test percentages. That, so I bring this up cause it's kind of similar in baseball. I'd be able to tell you if a starting pitcher should, should switch to mid reliever because uh, they just can't go the distance. They're going to hit a wall. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how hard they train. They are not meant to be a starting pitcher. They, you know, um, and so maybe they're best for mid reliever. Uh, you know, there's a certain point, you know, where we're obviously we're trying to extend the length that they can go. If they get in trouble in an inning and, and their pitch count goes up to 30, What's the now you're using statistics after 30 pitches in an inning? If he's really struggling, what's the drop? What's what's the percentage drop off that accuracy of accuracy? Um, how, how much does that go down? So, there's ways to track this and really determine the prototypical position player, right? So, what's the best way to do that for the fiber typing? It's probably, I mean. I haven't seen anything that proved that 
Uh, I mean, Ted, uh, you, you feel free to hop in. But if you look at the Bosco tests, so if you go get his mat, it comes with his software, right? And it's the, God, I think it's the 60-second jump. So it's got to deal with the jump height, the decline, and everything else. And its correlation to fiber type was really high. I think the, the uh, correlation was in the 0.8 to 0.9. So I'd have to see if I can look it up. Uh, Carmelo Bosco jump test fiber type. Uh, uh, what am I looking on Bing? No, scholar.google.com. Bosco jump test fiber type. So the study with him and uh, Pavel Comey back in 1983 uh, the so they uh, the the R was point seven three, so that's that's pretty pretty high. That if you look at you know the first fifteen seconds and then every fifteen seconds uh, post, uh, he's got an equation in there, and honestly, it's already figured into his jump mat, which I've got here in a note to be able to give a sign. Or sign link. Well, not link. I can't give the link off of my files on my phone. Uh, maybe it's under notes. Do to do to do. Chrono Jump Bosco system. It's about two hundred bucks. It's Bosco's original stuff, and uh, and it's got that figured into it. So if you do the sixty second test, it's going to give you your uh, fiber type and. Uh, uh, for a correlation of 0.73 without having to do a biopsy and for 200 bucks versus 200 bucks per person, uh, per time, I'll take that every day of the week, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that that would be a, a good way to look at it. Uh, you know, then at the same time though, we don't know what their, um, the, uh, you know what, that's probably good enough because we don't really need to get down into the enzymes and everything else, you know, uh, because that's going to get lost in the weeds. Um, that should be good enough to, to tell you what their type two are, because the type two are going to have that. Um, if it's type two from Ted, you're going to have to help me out here, because this is getting outside of my wheelhouse, right? Because I'm training. I'm not a hard physiology guy. Yeah. So you can fiber type by myosin ATPA staining, and you can, yes. And then there's another way that's it's like what is the actual characteristic of the fiber with like the dhp receptor right for how the uh the action potential goes in and starts the sarcoplasmic reticulum so something that is resembling two way from uh the atpas versus it was some other way of fiber typing and it was i think it's how they did it back with the freaking in like the 80s um golly i can't think you know uh, ed Coyle has also done some stuff off of a, a four to six second, you know, power test on a bike, looking at percentages of fiber types. Yeah, that was the first one that came up. Uh, but yeah. I knew the Bosco went off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. But either way, I think that, you know, if you've got an idea, and that would be a far better way to do it than, than what I did, uh, just honestly. You know, here, here this is, I'm not PhD at that point. I've got some stats classes, and uh, I don't know how – Google Scholar might not even been a thing back then. Uh, so, you know, just figuring it out for the best that I could, uh, you know, we did, we did pretty good. Could we have done better? Yeah, 
I just need to get better at search terms, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's always, I think, uh, the biggest hangup right now for coaches is so many times we keep reinventing the wheel, thinking that something is new, uh, when in reality, stuff has been around for, you know, freaking literally 37 years, you know, uh, going back to Carmelo Bosco's paper uh, right there with the, that, uh, maybe going back to Masahiro Kaniko, uh, and I'm sure I butchered that name, looking at how, uh, and I didn't read this one until freaking 2017, I think, and how he had uh, gone through and made the adaptation, you know, showed the adaptations for force and velocity with diff- and power for different types of training. And it was kind of cool because what he thought and what he had found uh, lined up perfectly with the zones on the 30% and 60% for strength, speed, and speed strength. And I was just, again, one of those times, like, I was freaking right. But, uh, you know, uh, but, yeah, we keep reinventing the wheel, man. We, we need to go back and look at some of that old research that's the foundational stuff. I mean, I've said it a million times. You want a new idea, go read an old book. You could see that. Shoot, that's uh, you can only see two out of the five bookshelves that I've got in here, right? So uh, that you know, read, go back and read the old stuff. Just because it's old, it doesn't mean it's good. I mean, shoot, the Kaneko study opened my eyes to a whole different way of doing things, which is uh, which led to that those uh, posters that were up at the NSCA last week, and which will hopefully be a manuscript that comes out in the next couple of months. Uh, based off of how much uh, Sig, uh, Joe Signorelli has got to edit my writing. And, uh, you know, that's uh, like, like I was saying off the air, I'm a horrible scientific writer. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my gift is, uh, I shouldn't even say gift, where I, I'm the strongest at, I think, is being able to break it down and, and give it to coaches in a way that they can, can understand and, and utilize. Because it's all great and you know, my biggest, uh, I've had a big criticism that some people are, are pretty pissed at me about. I'm really good at pissing people off uh, about with JSCR. It's like the practical application is not a practical application most of the time. If I give this to a practitioner, what do they do? They look at it and they have no idea what this thing says. So let's make it actually about practical application and uh, in, in those articles, um, which how did I get to there? I don't even remember. What were we even talking about? Rhinos. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. speak a lot about, obviously, velocity-based training, right? People yeah. People know you do it. But there's another part of velocity-based training that I know you spent some time thinking about, and it's kind of the psychology that's associated with velocity-based training in all time. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Talk about that in the team environment. And, and the importance of understanding the impact you're having um, leadership-wise, you know, autonomy-wise, all this. Well, I think it's really kind of a two-sided thing. With VBT, it's not, you know, for one, I think a lot of people have taken it and <clears throat> they've ran it and they tried to make it their own, and which is fantastic. Uh, but sometimes I think they might have screwed it up a little bit because they're trying to put it in on everything with everybody. And really, it's not something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. And, it, and that's for two reasons. One is that you've got to have the requisite strength levels to be able to uh, see massive adaptations from improvements in the velocity spectrum. You know, and, and, uh, and two is uh, if you make it something that they have to earn, you, know, you don't value 
uh, that which you do not have to work for, right? So that's a, a double-edged thing. Now, within the velocity-based training, I think that one of the most overlooked areas for strength and conditioning right now is, you know, and, and I've been one of these people who, you know, make it all about sets, reps, intensities, and things like that. When we really, I mean, there's quantitative research and there's qualitative research, and they're different, but they're highly related, right? So, you know, uh, Nick Winkleman just came out with a book that I haven't read yet talking about coaching and the way that you, you go about things. But I think that the way, you know, the VBT, why does it work so well? I think it's because of self-determination theory, right? You know, and that's that three-pronged uh, approach that, you know, competence, uh, autonomy, and relatedness, right? So if, you know, well, number one, I think that before anybody starts using velocity, they have to be extremely competent. You know, you're not going to go and unleash on something that you're not good at. You know, if, if somebody doesn't understand the appropriate technique on clean, you see them hold back and they're like, how was that? How was that? Was that right? Was that right? And, uh, and <clears throat> you know, they, they lose some of the aggressiveness and assertiveness that could come from that. Uh, but, you know, that goes to any, you know, uh, walk of, of being, uh, you know, through any type of, of life. You know, I, I've said it before on some other podcasts and talks. It's like, you know, you, you're not going to go hard on something that you're not good at in front of people because you're afraid of getting embarrassed. You know, I, uh, yeah, on a musical instrument wise, you know, I'm messing around with the harmonica and occasionally pick up the guitar, but you're not going to catch me in front of people doing it because I suck. But it's nothing for me to hop up and go, oh, daddy boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from clan to clan. You know, and just go on and start seeing because it's something that I'm good at. So if we make, if we're not giving people something that they're good at and they're not competent, that intrinsic motivation isn't going to be uh, coming because they're just, they're, they're holding back because you're like, nope, that wasn't right. Do it again. Nope, that wasn't right. Do it again. They're going to get frustrated. Uh, the autonomy. Uh, yeah, let's go relatedness first. They need to understand what is the transfer. And that's your job as a coach. You know, if they don't understand why they're doing it, they're not going to go hard. You know, they don't understand that, hey, this is going to have a positive impact on me because this, they're really not going to be putting a tremendous amount of effort to it. And then the, uh, and then the last one, the autonomy, is that they have direct control, right? Uh, and I think that whenever, you know, you – we, we've talked about it in different uh, areas that, hey, the athletes have got to have some input, right? They need to have some input on their program so that they feel some ownership into it and they're going to go hard. Well, they have direct ownership on what the load is that they're going to be pushing that day, right? And it also allows us to have some conversations too because if uh, they're down for a couple of weeks in a row, we're like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, and uh, I've had with, uh, you know, women's basketball, I found out that an athlete's parents were getting divorced and they uh, were having a hard time with it, not because of them, but because of what was happening with their sibling and how hard the time their sibling was having. So then, you know, uh, refer out for uh, counseling, et cetera. Uh, golly, what was that lady's name? Debbie something, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, referring her uh, over to her. Uh, getting her to the appropriate people to get, you know, get them help. But it, it just allows those conversations uh, to occur. At least for me, I use it as a, a tool for that uh, with uh, some of my teams. But, uh, you know, that self-determination theory, I think, is something, you know, we, we tend to forget that, you know, prog- I, I've said this before, and it's not completely correct. And, you know, honestly, I don't care. People are going to call me out. Like, well, it's all right. Bah, 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 bah. You know, let's flip them double birds because I, I just don't care. 
But I, you know, the co- programming is scientific and coaching is a humanistic endeavor. And yes, there, I understand that there is qualitative research and that's science too. But what I'm saying is if you are, you can't treat them like a lab rat, you know, you've got to have a relationship with them. And that's my point there. Whenever I, I say that, I think that it comes through for the coaches and I think the coaches understand what I mean, but then the people who are the qualitative and social science researchers, they get their panties in a bunch, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. But that's, uh, I think that might be what you're getting at. If not, man, I just talked about 25 minutes on something that, you, that was uh, completely unrelated. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Soranex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Soranex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Soranex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Soranex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. No, no, I think that was great because we we also uh, with with you, you when you're training a, the athlete, they are a person. You're not just training the weightlifter. The, the 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 person who's doing agility drills or the football player or the women's basketball player, you're training the whole person. So you have to take into account uh, their state. If they rest, you have to educate. You have to educate on nutrition. You have to educate on um, technique. Uh, and we also understood that we're when we're coaching a, the person – everything goes through their brain, right? So yeah. all every, so a lot of times it, it amazes me sometimes when um, teachers are, think they're teaching information and not teaching the student. And, and, and you have to go, to, to go through the brain to get to the brain. To, to, to teach them information, you have to go through the psychology of the person. And yeah. that's something um, that I, I think you don't, I don't know if I've heard you speak about that, but that's something I know you have taken into consideration, the psychology behind the training as well as the science behind the training. And if you can combine both and and know that you're actually coaching a person, uh, not not the golfer or the, the tennis player or the football player or the basketball player, but you're coaching the person, uh, you can, you can access all of that information that's out there. Like you were just talking about self-determination theory, that's sports psychology. So if you can use sports psychology to help with motivation of your athletes in the weight room, you're going to get the most out of them. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just one path, man. And that's, everybody's looking for a magic bullet and there is no magic bullet. You know, it's a combination of a tremendous amount of things, you know, it, it, and I think that was my biggest mistake from like age because I started in strength conditioning at age 19, you know, as an undergrad assistant, you know, shoot, whenever I was there uh, interning for you at Tulsa in 2003, I'd already been coaching five years, you know? So like, uh, and that was one of the mistakes that I had made early on was 
just looking for one magic bullet and not applying, realizing that it's this huge summation. It's not one thing. And, but then again, if anybody would have told me that, I wouldn't have listened then anyways. So I'm a hard-headed dude. I've got to have a lot of extra calcium from all those concussions. So, <laughs> of course, my skull isn't the density that yours is. I've got the – I saw the data off the DEXA to uh, to prove that. So, uh, yeah. That, that's protected information. Yeah, that's HIPAA. I can't, uh, I can't start giving those bone density numbers out uh, no. that uh, – uh, if you've ever seen a Texas scan, his was gleaming ass white. It looked like a cue ball up there on his head. So, yeah. No concussions either. I don't know. Yeah, right? That's probably the difference. <laughs> so what are you working on now? Man, so I'm. Uh, it, it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, being down here at Miami is uh, – and also uh, not just being here with uh, the athletes. You know, I've got a great relationship with athletics. Uh, yeah, it's taken a couple of years to, to get there, but I'm doing a, a lot of different things with the different teams here. Uh, and I've also got a guy, you know, I've mentioned him a couple of times named Joe Signorelli that, uh, you know, in the research world, he's a legend, you know, and he's why I came here. You know, I had a, a, uh, a complete candor. I don't know how many people know this, but uh, my boss at Mizzou, uh, Kyle Gibson, was going to give me a, a one-year farewell tour, basically, you know, where I could kick my feet up, and get paid for a year because I just had a kid. He was going to pay me out of reserve funds, and I didn't have to do anything. And then the opportunity to come here at Miami, and I sat down with Joe Signorelli, and I'm like, I got to go. You know, the farewell tour is over. I got to learn from this guy. Uh, that's that's changed the way that I, I look at things. And uh, so I've got some stuff on uh, force velocity profiling that's going to be coming out, and that's something that he's worked on in 40 years. And I remember we were co-teaching a class because he's at the end of his career – you know, fourth quarter overtime, you know, he's up in his mid seventies. Uh, and here I am, you know, 40 and, uh, in the, you know, just really starting to feel like I'm taking off and, uh, academically. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, I'm co-teaching a class with him until I've got the material down. Cause you do the, the dude's been teaching it for 30 years here, just here at Miami. And he was doing a force velocity profile thing with it. And I was looking and I'm like, damn, why did I never think of this? If we would just give some unloaded jumps for some of these movements at the start, we could have a full force velocity profile. And for those who are, does this go, is this audio only or does this go up on YouTube? It'll be both. Okay. So, so I'll go ahead and yep, this is it. So go to share screen. So this is the, Sure. So this is one of the things that just popped up for the NSCA last week uh, for the NSCA coaches conference. Then uh, uh, my wife's like, Hey, when are you coming home? Okay, great. Uh, basically what we did here was they were doing trap bar deadlift. That's one of the, the core exercises for this particular program. Realizing that the deadlift bar was uh, 24 inches in between. I used 24 inch uh, PVC pipes with uh, 90 degree elbows glued them all up together and put the tether at the front, had them jump. Then they went with the barbell unloaded and they jumped again. And these are from the same height as what the handles would be uh, unloaded. I'm sorry, with a 20, 40 kilo, yeah, with the plate on there. And then they did one more jump. And I can't remember what the loads were. Uh, and instead of using percentage of body mass, we just went with one set uh, because it needed to speed things up because you can't, 
slow down the training session for data collection, right? Uh, so sometimes sport is dirty as far as sports science goes. Well, you know, here, this is some of the stuff that we see that, hey, 60% to 100%, look, nice, tight. Everybody is like that. But whenever it gets into the unloaded conditions, we see that there's a much greater spread. And uh, I believe they, that one I had that shown that the top four players right here in the velocity were, uh, you know, postseason honors winners or preseason. One of them was actually a freshman who's got uh, – who had one of those, you know, predicted to be whatever from – Baseball America or some crap like that. I don't, I, I don't remember. But, uh, you know, looking at the velocity. End. So that's one of the areas that I'm at. It's like, hey, man, let's go all the way over to the velocity into the spectrum. And then next we'll be seeing uh, what changes occur from the different types of training and how do these different athletes respond. Because if we give one program, right, do these guys who are velocity uh, dominant, or, and if that's a primary characteristic for them, how does their velocity spec into the spectrum respond to this? You know, it, the heavy training, is that pushing the velocity up or is it pushing the velocity down? Uh, so, you know, that's, that's one of the things. Uh, looking at transfer indices based off of the 15 years of data that we collected at Mizzou. Um, looking at uh, counter movement jump and how the, the different training, you know, off of the force plates. You know, like I said, I've got some PASCOs and I'm using force decks from uh, Valve. That uh, how, how does the training impact these different people? Right. Because uh, yeah, whenever you get down to it, whenever we I look back at some of the, the 15 years worth of data, a couple of the guys we screwed up, man. I'm going to say it that, you know, some of these guys that came in with a, uh, uh, a super low training age, that they were just multi-sport athletes. They did a lot of track. They didn't do a lot of lifting. Um, and then we came in, we got them super strong. They never ran as fast or jumped as high. And they just happen to be dealing with, I think, the fascial system rather than the, uh, the muscular system for a lot of their force dominance, right? They were just springy. Uh, and then, uh, but most of the people, as they got stronger, they got better up to a point, right? So if anybody was below 1.7 times body weight on their strength number, on their squat, relative squat, they're, uh, damn, I thought I'd turn that off. Uh, their um, sprints went up. Their jumps went up, and, you know, they were, they were better. Uh, but we, then we didn't see that uh, over – much over 2.2 times body weight. There were a couple of dudes that whenever we added the velocity in on them, you know, they got up to the, the level three, level four, and they started having a velocity emphasis that they would still see, even at a triple body weight squat, we still saw some improvements. But whenever they, it was a, a non-velocity component, a la 2000, 2006, over 2.2, never once – so you can't ever say never, but there was once or twice that we, we saw improvements there. Uh, looking at change of direction and what influences it, uh, that's going to be a manuscript I'm going to submit tomorrow. Uh, looking at the 15 years of Mizzou, the first trial, right? So then we've got actually, uh, so we've got prediction equations and what influenced it. So it's a massive, you know, 7,000 word manuscript and, uh, and what influenced change of direction on different uh, surfaces, which, you know, it's going to give, uh, in, in my opinion, the, the beauty of it is because I'm giving equations. If what we predict isn't what they're at, you know, plus or minus the standard deviation, it's like, okay, there's an issue. We need to look at it. And why is it off? You know, is it body composition? Is it strength? Is it, you know, ballistics? You know, what, what is it? So then that should give some practitioners some, some room there. And then, uh, 
Yeah, there's a you know a couple other things too that you know just keeps popping up, man. Uh, I'm working on getting this uh, device called PlayerMaker. They're here down in Miami Springs, and the guy that did on started OnStar and figured that out, right? He uh, is a sports fan, and he got bored after he sold it to to uh, G. Uh, was General Motors? Is that who? Yeah, uh, yeah. I got to ask the vehicle people. Me, I don't give two shits what I drive most of the time, you know. I, uh, I, I miss having my truck though. I will say that, but that's uh, neither here nor there. That's completely irrelevant. He, uh, he's a sports fan and he wanted for the next challenge. So then he designed this accelerometer that you put on each foot and it goes on the shoe and it samples at a thousand Hertz. And, uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm going to try and look at some change of direction stuff with that. Like a thousand Hertz, man, come on. That's, uh, you know, what is, uh, what is catapult like 10? No, that's GPS 60. I think they're at 60 Hertz. For their changer, Ted, you would know that better than I. What is their sample rate? Um, yeah, I think it's some of them are about a hundred. Hundred, okay. Yeah. So then we're getting a thousand, or we're getting it at the foot rather than the center of mass, and then that might allow us to look at uh, the the foot kinetics. Uh, yeah, kinetics as they're coming in and coming out, especially if we can overlay it with because we got in the gate lab, we've got uh, multi-axis force plates. Uh, but then again, I don't want to put the athletes on there because they can create some shear force. So I'll probably do something with high-speed video and the accelerometers, uh, the IMUs, rather. Uh, but, yeah, shit, Ted, I want to pick your brain on that more so I don't reinvent the wheel and I'm not going about something stupidly. Uh, but it's uh, looking at the foot rather than the center of mass. So the asymmetry, I think, might be a little bit better because they measure both feet rather than yeah. looking at the rotation and predicting because <clears throat> it's always better to measure than it is to predict. Right. Yep. Kind of like the Sears equation. Right. It's OK for predicting power, but it's far better to measure because power is the combination of force and velocity. So power is even a fluff metric whenever you get down to it. One of the things that I started doing is uh, doing uh, the uh, graphs, you know, the so where I'm looking at four quadrants for how they produce force and velocity on the counter movement jump. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to look at the this year. We're. Uh, uh, probably going to start with the athletes looking at doing the same as, you know, method. Uh, and I'm going to try and get a laser to look at contact times and things like that. But if I get, you know, that's only if I can get it to integrate. And, uh, but, uh, you know, looking at the you know, horizontal and, and vertical and force and velocity and the relationships, because I think power is something that uh, you know, Jason Lake calls it a, a fluff metric. And I don't necessarily agree with calling it fluff. But I think that since it's a derivative, you know, multi, you can get the same force with, uh, I'm sorry, same power, high force, low velocity, or low force, high velocity, you know, 2.5 times 200 is 500, and 500 times 1 is 500. So we need to know how is that derived so then we know how to train them and, you know, how to, to change things. So, you know, that's, uh, and that is with what I'm talking about with that counter movement jump and how people respond to training. So if we, you know, typically if everybody just gives one training blanket training program, people who are on that high end, and this is where I was trying to get at earlier uh, before I got sidetracked by my own derailing, that some of the guys that are the super high velocity, maybe they actually are, it's the program might be detrimental or if they improve, it's in spite of the program and not because of the program. Versus, you know, these people that are in the middle, they are seeing improvements because of it. And these people at the bottom, you know, who knows, 
right? Because those are usually the walk-ons that aren't going to see the field anyway. So I don't know if I'd spend a lot of time. You know, I can. I can spend a lot of time, you know, looking to see what makes them better. But uh, as far as a coach goes, I mean, they're not influencing your bottom line. Where are you going to even look, you know, to try and improve uh, other than to make yourself look good on paper for the coach? So I got a ton of stuff in the in the works, and uh, I'm staying busy. And it's uh, between them and the kids. It's making the hairline go back and back and back. I think I might have to, you know, join your guys' club here. But I've got dents in my head, and I don't think it's going to look very good if I uh, take it all the way down. So, yeah, there'll, there'll be a lot of stuff coming out for the next several years, uh, and, and I'm excited to uh, to get it out there and be able to talk about it more and more. Uh, but, you know, the transfer index, I think that's something that most coaches could go and put in tomorrow. Uh, it's in every version of Zatsiorski's science and practice of strength training. It's in the first, it's in the second, it's in the third. Uh, the downside to it is that you've got to apply some context for the numbers because, uh, you know, positive isn't always good, negative's not always bad, uh, even on the same number, right? Because sometimes if both numbers go down, so if your 40 time goes down and your body comp goes down, that gives you a positive, right? If you're, uh, but, you know, maybe you're thinking it should be negative, you know, you, you just got to uh, apply context for everything. What if, uh, what about the squat? Well, um, you know, what if it stayed the same and your sprint got better? Well, what happened on your body comp? You know, there's just a lot of factors going into it. So that might be why it's not as popular or it's just because coaches don't want to do math. Math is hard, and uh, you know, but if you've got an Excel anyways, you can calculate stuff. I mean, shoot, you saw the profile. So Pat had his profile that he showed the coaches. I took the profile, and I had all these equations for like, man, let's see how many extra columns did I throw on there. I've got that on my OneDrive here. I know I've got that. Data, football. If, uh, of course, now I say that and I can't find it. Here we go. See how many extra columns I calculated. All right, Pat's ended at V. And mine ended at BC. <laughs> you so... Do you have it? Is it de-identified? Oh, not this one. <laughs> not that one. Oh. Yeah, I've got one that's de-identified, but it doesn't have all the different calculations oh. on it. Because then I throw it into SPSS and I do them in there. Because then uh, it's a little bit easier with the categorization. So, like, if I if you split the file, it uh, it'll do that for you versus having to uh, go back through and do it for each individual one. So I don't think the columns will go as far because I had to break it down from standardizing for each type, you know, was it uh, offensive line only? Was it bigs? Was it, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, you know, I got sprint momentum uh, off of 10, off of 40, uh, force, sprint force, which some people will poo-poo on, but it's the same freaking turf. So, you know, the coefficient of friction shouldn't vary between guy to guy. It's the same sh freaking shoe. It's the same turf. I don't care. Uh, so, but that's, yeah, that's an argument that I got into with a bioengineer. But I calculated force and power and, of course, velocity uh, for all of those and found that, hey, for the bigs, uh, force mattered for sprint. Uh, for the mids, power, which you think about it, 
well, they've got to be able to hit the big dudes. They've got to run down people. So they're going to be, you know, a good hybrid in between. And then the skill guys, it was velocity. And then uh, outside of the, for the mids, there was an agility test and a jump test too. And the same for the, uh, the, the skill. And the R squared was only down to the point twos, the point threes. So it's not super strong, but it, football is very skilled, you know, and to be able to get that high of an art, which is low, right. But to be able to have that much, it's like, okay, this is the physical requisite abilities. If you're in, you're trying to play this position and you can't do this, you're probably going to suck. And then uh, that's one of those things that I need to get out there. I just, mm-hmm. I'm going to get poo pooed on because uh, the way that I calculated force and power, you know, somebody who's got a engineering background, biomechanics background, oh, they're, they're going to pick that apart. But, you know, I'll still, you know, stand on it, that it's the same surface and the same shoe. So I don't think it should matter. But uh, so that's where the coaching and the researching kind of collide and, and butt heads. Brian, what, what did you ever do with that, the data you, was co- you were collecting on a neck circumference? We didn't have enough concussions. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so uh, – Whenever you get down to it, yeah. So what I did was I looked at neck length, so uh, occipital protuberance to the C7 prominence, neck circumference, and then uh, I redneck engineered. Let's see if I still got it. Hold on. I don't have the wood anymore, but I took a blood pressure cuff and I wrapped it around a two by four to one by four laminated together, right? So that they had something to push against. And I uh, uh, popped it up to 40 millimeters of mercury. And then I had them pushed down, right? I started out with it wrapped around the bar and tried to push, but that's protraction, not deep neck flexion. And there's those studies that talk about the strength of the deep neck flexors. So uh, we had two concussions. One of them was a, uh, ah, man, both of them were from car wrecks, right? And, uh, and the, so the only people that got concussed, because we did a, a ton of neck work, uh, I asked Rex if we could start throwing guys against the wall, and he wasn't having that. Uh, but uh, the, the guys that, uh, the two guys that had concussion had long, skinny, weak necks, Right. And uh, the research that shows that stuff for the neck strength, there needs to be a caveat. I think they left it out that you got to see the hit coming, right? Because if you can see the hit coming, you strengthen, you you tense the neck muscles, and then uh, that's going to slow the deceleration of the head. And it's the brain slosh that is causing the concussion, not the actual initial impact. And, uh, so the head, you know, whopping around to the brain, you know, whopping all around in there, sloshing around, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, we just didn't have enough concussion so that there, I can't – nobody is going to allow a study with uh, two people to go through. Uh, you know, maybe that uh, – man, that thing, Martin Bouchette, uh, he and somebody else started a thing that's like an online only, and it's changing all the time. I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to talk to Dr. Cohen. He's, uh, he, he told me about it, that they kind of got like a, it's not peer, I mean, it's peer reviewed because everybody's looking at it and criticizing it, but it's uh, not indexed or anything like that. Uh, that might be a place to, to send that. So Ted, yeah. the, the way Brian's mind works is 
I remember we're on the sideline and it's during the game. He's got his stopwatch out. Like, what are you doing? Timing kicks? He's like, no. Like, what are you, what are you timing? He said, uh, I'm timing how long the offense is off the field. I'm like, what? Why would you time how much time the offense is off the field? He said, well, I've got a theory that if, uh, if it go, if, if the offense is so soon as they, you know, we get ready to punt the ball. So right before that offense comes off the field and they're sitting on the bench, he's timing that and then stopping the time once they go back on the field. I said, what are you doing? He said, I have a theory that I can predict if we're going to have a three and out or not. Yeah, six minutes. If they're sitting more than six minutes, they were much more likely to go a three and out. So, I, I, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think it was um, – I thought you said it was eight, but I know it was something. It might have been eight. Five. I don't remember yeah. right now. So, yeah, six or eight, somewhere around there. Yeah, but he, he had – he came – he was charting it and was able to – figure out when we had a three and out. So he discovered that if the offense is over on the bench for more than eight minutes, the chance of us having a three and out was some great percentage. Yeah. We need to do something about that. Yeah, well, the coaches didn't want to do anything about it. I get them up moving, then fucking C is yelling at me to, what are you doing? So so what we did, I said, well, who who does it matter for the most? Because skilled guys are probably going to be on special teams so we, we just broke it down. So let's just get the offensive lineman to do a couple of, I don't know, knee tucks or um, stomp, foot stomps on the ground or something. I can't remember. Yeah, just get them up and get them moving. Get them up. Fire out of their stance. After a certain time, I said, uh, you know, make sure the offensive coordinator isn't talking to them, the offensive line isn't talking to them. Get the guys up. We got to explain to them, like, how are we going to explain this to players? Like, you can't tell them, hey, if you sit over here, we're going to have a three and out. <laughs> yeah. So we say, hey, with the offensive lineman, just trust us. We want to make sure that your blood circulation gets back going. It's going to increase your chance of going out there and uh, just being ready to go and dominate your opponent. But the whole time, Brian's got his stopwatch. He's like, hey, it's eight minutes. Man. Got to get him. Let's go. Get him up. Get him up. Get him up. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, unpublished research. Right? Yeah, unpublished and not publishable. And, you know, the coaches may or may not buy into it, as we've found out. You know, uh, what are you going to do? We had – we had uh, I had my first year with the Rockets. Uh, you know, you're, you would start the third quarters bad. Or, and then we had a stat that, like, guys coming in off the bench, they, they struggle to get going – so I had this this new thing. I take this approach that I used to use in baseball to keep guys ready because obviously they're just sitting there, right? And, yeah. Um, so I, I I had this little warm up area. You know, this is during a game. I had this little warm up area, and there's I had three bikes set up. I had a power play. I had all these different tools to help them get loose. Bands set up. There's their own little warm up area, and I had a back that first year we had a, a few younger guys it's not our vet team that we had have this year or in a year in the last couple of years so I pulled about four guys during a timeout it was right towards the end of a timeout I made sure that they were listening to the coaches and then I pulled them off and I had them start riding a bike you know it's like middle of the first quarter hey you're gonna do this routine once a quarter not one minute into it, 
I had two of the vets looking over going, what the is going on over here? It's like, get your ass back on the bench and root your players on out there. I was like, all right, I'm it's tradition, man. <laughs> like, so sometimes it's tough to, to reinvent the wheel when, uh, you know, uh, it definitely takes some education and all that, but, uh, so you got to be on the bench cheering the players on. So now it's like you give them little tools here and there to, to keep loose when they stand up, right? A little, you know, move the feet, quick feet, little leg swings here and there, time out kind of. But uh, <laughs> but sometimes it's not the most um, efficient way of doing things, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Brian, you have anything else you want to drop on us before we uh, wrap this show up? Uh, No, actually, we probably ought to wrap it up because my wife just gave me the... uh, Yep. Yeah. I I know. (laughs) I I know her well. Yeah. uh, I don't want to be on her bad side, so uh, we should probably wrap this thing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you once again. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Uh, talking some shop with you and, you know, especially right here in your wheelhouse. This is a uh, research to reps uh, round table um, covering velocity based training. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we should all be uh, excited about when this one comes out. Yeah, I am too. Very good. Great job. Thanks guys. Good seeing you, Brian. Thanks for, for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. All right, man. Get home. Get safe. Be safe. All right, y'all. Will do. Y'all take care. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.